Riverhead Books presents Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey. You know, I occasionally praise these dead people. Great Expectations is not the Dickens gateway drug I would recommend. You must be the first person in history to take Henry James to the beach. I'm a guy who read Born Peace by the Pool. <laughs> I will read a book because of his cover. Absolutely. I think there's an argument that straight people shouldn't write sex. At all? At all. Okay, you're wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Marlon James, and welcome back to Marlon and Jake Read Dead People. I'm here with Jake Morrissey. Hi there. And we're going to talk about authors who, far as I know, are still in their coffins. Still dead. Still dead. Except for Byron. He's probably just spread out somewhere. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Byron, this time around, we're going to talk about something that I think we haven't really discussed in much detail, mm-hmm. either, either on the podcast or like directly. About po- we want to talk about some poets and poetry, because and I, one of the things I, I want to sort of talk about I think is sort of why pe- why people don't read poetry more for pleasure. Mm-hmm. So let me uh, let me let me step anyway. Mm-hmm. Stop step back by asking you first: Are you somebody who reads poetry if you don't have to? Yeah. Um, weird enough, I think, I, and this is hard for this podcast, since I tend to read living poets more than dead poets. Oh, true. Which is not a knock on any dead poet. poet but, oh, I've got a lot of knocks on dead yeah, poets. Yeah, you know, if Alice Oswald have a new poetry thing, I am, I'm there. So what do you look but for? Living. What do you look um, for in a poet, though? I I like, I you know, I, I read poems, I think, on a very basic level. I like when they twist language in a way that surprises me. Exactly. And I really envy it. I I envy that because i keep going why didn't i think of those words together <laughs> i did not occur to me oh interesting because the thing about you is you do do that mm. you just i mean the, the well all right i'm we're start i'm starting i'm starting when i shouldn't have but mm. talk talk about yeah, um, how you read a poem poetry so i i read it out loud oh good for you and I read and I reread and I'll take a break and I'll come back and I read it again. Some poems are immediately clear. Mm-hmm. A lot of poems are not. Yes. And they don't need to be. Because mm-hmm. I think a poem comes at you in all sorts of ways. Pros can do that too. Mm-hmm. But there are poems I like for the sheer mastery of how they use it. There are mm-hmm. poems I like because it's speaking to what I'm going through or, or just speaking to me. There are poems I like because they're nasty and they're lewd and they're surprising. Right. And they have such muscle. And I like I still like poems because of rhythm. Yes. And rhyme and assonance and resonance and, and, and so on. You know, I was gonna say I like a poem that speaks to me, but I have tons of poems that like that don't speak to me. Well, like novels or yeah. writers or whatever. I think that's mm. fine. I guess my, my I like poems that speak to themselves, honestly. <laughs> All right. How do they do that, do you think? I think because where a, a a poem is confident enough to not end where it began. And a poem that even a poem will toss off something devastating about the human condition that I have to write two hundred pages to get to. And I'm like, fuck y'all. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Well, do you find cuz I mean I'm I mean I'm somebody who I've never written poetry nor have I claimed to be any, any I wrote one poem. Was that a, was that enough? Yeah. And you said you it was what? pretty bad. <laughs> and I even read it out loud Did at, you a, re- at a reading. Oh my god. And I think if people had hated it it would have been I couldn't deal with that. Right. If people loved it, of course that I loved it. Right. They actually thought I was reading some sort of commercial break. <laughs> The, prof- the profound indifference that struck that, oh that came God. across. Yeah, the, uh, I was like, I'll never do this again. Oh, that's interesting. Now, 
do you have a particular do you have a particular style as a poet that you Oh god, I hadn't gotten so far to that not style. That. Okay, but we're not talking like this isn't a limerick that you did. No. So you were doing something I'm a little offended by limericks. But <laughs> I don't I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree. No, I was trying to write that capital S serious poem. Okay. And it did not go well. It was terrible. <laughs> I also think, you know, I, I, you know, it's weird. That whole thing about those who can't do teach, I can teach the hell out of a poem. Are you a better teacher of poetry than you are a reader of poetry? Maybe neck and neck. I think I'm a better reader, actually. Okay. Because I think when I teach it, I do, actually, I shouldn't say teach poetry. I teach writing, creative writing. I can, I can teach a creative writing class in poetry and I have. Could you? And, And funny enough. When I do independent studies and honors projects with, with writing students, is nine times out of ten poetry students, not prose. Interesting. Because I, I think why. I think I know how to get somebody to a to a good poem. I know I I know yeah, I can read it and tell you I know what to do. I can do it for myself. I, that's interesting, because that's of course that's editing essentially. Mm-hmm. Are you somebody who because as as a reader of poetry, I mm. realize how it's a little. What is it? The Supreme Court's definition of pornography. I I I can't define it, but I know what it is when I see it. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of way I'm about poetry. Because there's, I mean, there are there are hundreds of mm-hmm. years in terms of the you know of 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 poetry being written that I have zero interest in. Mm-hmm. Nor have I studied it. It's like you know the Canterbury Tales mm-hmm. is enough for me. Yeah, you don't read any Fairy Queen. No. I don't want, I don't, and hundreds of years of romantic poems. I don't, mm-hmm. I have a poetry I've not read. Yes, I've read Byron. Yes, I've read Shelley. Yes, I've read Keats. The but I particular poets are better like John Donne. For my money, I'd rather have somebody like Dante. Even in translation, mm-hmm. I don't read 15th century or 14th century Italian mm-hmm. or whatever. But even then, I'm more interested in that. Because I think really what I'm looking for, which is why poetry is tricky for me, is a story mm-hmm. or is story. Yeah. Because some of the poems, some of the poets that I've liked over the years have been like, oh, this is this is a tale that mm-hmm. evolves over a period of time and the stanzas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, as you say, it doesn't end up, it doesn't end where it started. Well, you know, that made me think, and we haven't even gotten into somebody, but I don't want to lose trail thought of it. I mean, lose this, this, this train of thought we're going on about poetry as a story. I think the very best poems do tell you something. Mm-hmm. I think there are many different ways to tell a story. But I, I do like a good old-fashioned, not good old-fashioned, because, I, I mean, I do like an epic. Like Christopher Logue's War Music, mm-hmm. where, which is basically him, the only way I can respond to the Iliad is to write an Iliad. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Except Homeboy pulls it off. Right. I used to read that every morning before I wrote Brief History. Wow. Of Seven Killings. That and is, I still do that. That I'll explains write, a lot, actually. <laughs> I'll still read poetry before I write prose. What do you think it does to you? I think it reminds me that it's very, I have to continually remind myself that language is not my master mm-hmm. and that the English language as English know it is not something that I am borrowing without permission. Good for you. Because that's how I was raised. Yes. And, and and I think poetry does that. I want to, you know, the, the, the question that we have is why why people don't read or why we don't read as poetry as much as as prose. You know, when, when Robert Frost gave that poem for John Kennedy, he was one of the biggest literary figures in America, if not the world. Exactly. It's funny you mentioned him because mm-hmm. I want to, I, I'm going to be talking about him. Yeah. You know, the, the, the idea, I mean, I wasn't even born then, right. but I know about the day Tennyson died. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, 
fact we can say so you know there is make no mistake there's a correlation between non-white people entering poetry and the poetry establishment and the establishment of literature not lionizing poetry anymore mm-hmm. we don't have our romantic white men anymore right the last one was ted hughes and he had two women kill themselves y- yeah that's not a good um, that's not a good look yeah poor guy well not poor guy he was an asshole i was gonna say that's not he was a yeah. terrible human and some of his poems were good, though. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, if, if we're going to talk about, there, I think there are lots of reasons why. And poets, if poets were on this, they would give reasons that neither of us probably oh, thought absolutely. of. Absolutely. I, so I kind of just go by my experience. One is the way it's taught. I am not kicking lit teachers when they're down. But a lot of times when people no longer read, I can go, okay, what was the lit class that turned you off from books? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes literature is, or literature, as you Americans say, <laughs> a lot of times it's the English language or the reading comprehension mm-hmm. or the writing teacher doubling up. Okay. A lot of times it's pe- teachers teaching things they don't like personally. Mm-hmm. I do. I poetry is not hard to teach. It is not. It's not hard. Okay. See, I would argue that it's it's hard to teach well. Yeah, but I think. If if a student, if a reader realizes, you know, you can meet a poem where you are, not mm-hmm. where the poem is. True. And that's fine. Yes. It's not, it's, 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 whereas we, I remember getting to say, well, that's not what the poet intended. And uh, you know, it's a work of art and you should defend the author. Oh, there we go again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. I'm like, fine, but give me reasons to defend the author. That's <laughs> right. I'm not out here by myself. I'm and, not going to do know, this alone. And, and, and don't ruin the experience by having me write a whole essay on explain the theme of alienation in the first four poems right. in, the, in the wasteland. Like, I don't want to write an essay on the theme of alienation. I don't want to write, I want to use the word theme ever. I didn't want to say it on this podcast. <laughs> I agree it, how it's taught matters. But I think also for me, at least as a reader, reading poetry demands, a, for me, a different helmet to put on when i'm reading as opposed mm. to as opposed to prose or fiction mm. but i wonder if reading is also part of the problem i mean it's not wrong reading poetry most poets that's poetry that's how you're going to meet it yeah i think people aren't hearing poetry well it's the difference between poetry and lyrics mm-hmm. i mean which are i mean essentially lyrics are poetry mm-hmm. you hear those all the time yeah since the person is living i'm not going to name them i was at a poetry reading and and this is not what anybody would call what you know an easy poet. It's not a slam poet. It's not right. an easy poet. It's not, and that's not a knock on slam. Don't come for me on Twitter. But the way in which, I mean, a good poet, a good person who can read a poem in a in a, in a good way, the way he entranced that crowd. Yes. And most of the people who went and he and he sold out, and most of the people are people. That's their, they would say that's the first book of poetry I ever bought. Exactly. And I'm not saying the pressure is on that every poet must be a good reader. It helps. Yeah, totally. But I do think, as with lyrics, there is an oral quality that's essential to poetry that you don't always get when you read it. That, that's, one, that's true of Shakespeare as well. It's true of Shakespeare, which is why I've been in lit classes about poetry, and at no point does the teacher read the poem. Aloud, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there are things your ears will catch that your eyes are not going to. I think you're absolutely right. Also, I think a lot of it depends, too, on how, as you say, how it's read. In other mm-hmm. words, if if I'm reading aloud, I don't know, Byron, say, mm-hmm. and I'm, 
I'm not the kind of guy who would read Byron or whatever. It, it's mm-hmm. it's less, you know, I can read the words, but I don't get them. I don't get the the essence or the meaning. And I think mm-hmm. I also think under, in other words, understanding this is true of prose as well, but maybe less less obviously understanding the words and understanding what you're saying with the words. I think matters to how it's read aloud as a poem mm-hmm. more so than you know a straightforward. I don't know, reading a short story aloud or Because I do think somebody like, you know, with Robert Frost say, I mean, I grew up in New England. So in school, we, we read a lot of Robert Frost poems because, right. you know, he was part of the sort of the cultural firmament over the years. And it's interesting to me now, you know, sort of later as an English major in college, I never really read anything by him. He was mm-hmm. not somebody who was taught by, you know, by at least the colleges that, you know, the college classes that I had. I mean, he might have been out of fashion and, and you know, he may not be read regularly anymore. But as you said, he was arguably at the time of the Kennedy inauguration in 1961, he was arguably the most famous American poet mm-hmm. at living. He's He won four Pulitzer Prizes, more than any poet and maybe more than any other writer. I don't think any novelist has won four Pulitzer I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of an extraordinary journey that he was on. I mean, the thing about, the thing about that I find that I respond to in in Frost is that I think he's a poet kind of observation and endurance. Mm-hmm. You know, carrying on is kind of a quality of his work and and I think mirrors the the life of sort of trying to survive in, you know, in the 20th century in rural America when things were changing a lot. He was, I mean, you sort of know this and you absorb this when you sort of study him. He was a failed farmer and he dealt with a lot of loss in his life. His father died of tuberculosis when he was a kid. His mother died in his early 20s. He struggled with depression. His wife struggled with depression. His mother did. He committed one of his younger sisters to a mental institution. I think of his six kids, two of them lived, outlived him. Mm-hmm. So it was like a lot of loss in yeah. his kind of darkness in his life. And for me, his his poetry kind of explores the sort of small moments of kind of essentially what it means to be in the land or in the land. I mean, you know making sure a stone wall between two farms is maintained mm-hmm. or walking through the woods during a snow evening. I mean, all those sort of, you know, th- tropes that we kind of accept now seemed at the time were very much kind of identifying, you know, a singular experience of walking through something. And at the end, as you said, the, the, at the end, the, the narrator of the poem is different than when he started. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, I thought about a lot about his famous line about life, which is, you know, I thought, how does he put it? In three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's it's something that sort of we need to kind of endure, find the joy, but it's also something that can be kind of dark and difficult at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. Uh, but I do think poets, the good, I mean, poetry, the best poetry tells you, is telling you something about life and telling something or telling you something about how we live it. Well, and it also depends too on the point of view. I mean, mm-hmm. in other words, Emily Dickinson is coming to a different, coming from a different experience than you know Robert Frost or somebody else, and mm-hmm. and you you either you either buy it, accept it, buy into it, or whatever, or think, oh no, thanks, I'm going to mm-hmm. go over here to I don't know Rod Rod McEwen, who was a really popular poet in the '60s and '70s that literally nobody talks about anymore mm-hmm. because he was you know he was on. He was on greeting cards. I mean, it was like amazing how how <laughs> how popular he was. But so, but in terms of in terms of how you how you absorb poetry, do you look? Are you kind of are you always on the lookout for it, or do you sort of does somebody tell you something, or do you stumble across? What's the discovery um, process like? In other words, I'm always on the lookout for it. I'll go to bookstores and I'll just go to the poetry section and and 
and you know, I would say I can't say I'm you know usually turned on by the cover because the covers are usually awful. Well, I or will say if it's Faber, it's the same cover for everybody. <laughs> well, you are a power browser though. You mm. can totally get, you know, the vibe of a book in like twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you do it. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 that's hell. You know, even war music was mm-hmm. because of you know because of a browse. To get to what I find, what I found was to get to poetry, to get to good poetry, especially, and this may be just a peculiar, peculiarity of how I grew up, you have to go through a lot of bad shit first. Well, that was my, that was one of the questions, one of the things I'm interested, interested in hearing from you, mm-hmm. is because you have a kind of classical British education, mm-hmm. and you presumably read a lot of dead white men. Exactly. (laughs) So my question to you is, it's encouraging to me that you actually like poetry, Mm. having gone through all of that bullshit. Well, the thing is, some of them weren't bad. Some of them were good. Unquestionably. I got got nothing but love for Coleridge. Okay. I'm not as delighted in Wordsworth. Okay. Rupert Brooke? Huh? Rupert Brooke? Did you ever get him? No. Okay. He might have been later because he was mm. a, more of a war poet. Yeah. I like the romantics. I prefer the metaphysicals because it seemed like they were having sex. <laughs> they were having. They were having more fun. John Den was. John Don was definitely getting booty knocked. I'm very really because he's not really a sex poet. No, he's Actually, not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Let's be honest. You're right. Okay. When I, you know, in in at college, you were either a T.S. Eliot or an Auden guy. That was my next question. Where do you fall oh, in that universe? Definitely Auden. Really? Oh, I am totally all about Auden. Why? I think because Auden is a more welcoming poet. I think Auden doesn't try as hard to tell me he's read something interesting today. Okay. I would argue that Eliot is a more memorable, maybe more charming turn of Fraser. Maybe. But Eliot is also in a the more evening of a people reach- come and go talking of Michelangelo. Come on. Okay, fine. <laughs> I love this etherized on a table, which I've used. Good for you. That's excellent. I've, That's... I've, I've used it. But um, I mean, the thing about Auden, I think, is he, I agree with you. He is more welcoming in the sense mm-hmm. that you don't have to, you you don't feel stupid mm-hmm. having read, you know, like Eliot. You, sometimes yeah. you, the wasteland's like, oh, I need I need a better education. To mm-hmm. read this. Yeah. Or oh, when you get to the Sanskrit. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, though, to come back to the, the, the romantics, the, the, the problem with that, with them, and it's not their fault, is that even when we were introduced to Caribbean poets, mm-hmm. they'd only have us read poets who were imitating the romantics. Oh, okay. So we read so that's where the real bad shit came from. Yes. Like Claude McKay is a super important person in the Renaissance. I think a lot of things happened before he really locked into brilliance. Mm-hmm. The, the, the signs are always there. Just so you, what you're saying, he had to kind of sweep away. He had to sweep away, and he didn't know how. Right. So, right. so he writes a poem. He opens his mouth, and Tennyson comes out. Right. So you know, every, when I was growing up, you had to you had to memorize Spanish Needle, and it was lovely, dainty Spanish Needle <laughs> with your yellow flower in white. Duly bedecked, I still don't know the meaning of that phrase. <laughs> Duly bedecked and softly speaking, do you dream of me tonight? Oh my God, I never why you, thought. Why are you writing that in an era where there are actual motor vehicles? I love this. I okay. This now now was it the, was the point the exercise or was the point embracing that kind of poetry? I think there's that and a third point where we're all under 10 and right. it sharpens our vocabularies right. to memorize stuff. 
Right. But why, why, when, when would I ever need Julie Bidek? I think it sounds like some sort of James Bond girlfriend next to <laughs> Pussy Galore, you know, Julie Bidek. Julie Bidek. Oh my God. Julie Bidek. <laughs> That's fascinating. But it's, it's a terrible poem. It's useful to, to, as a kid, for kids to memorize. Yeah. But it's it's let's not call it terrible. I actually think I actually think he's really trying things with language there. Well, it's clear just listening to you that mm. it's very it's very intentionally written. It's very intentionally written with your yellow flower in white. Yes, exactly. So I'm not you know at the same time it's so indebted to its influences, and I think Mackey was always conflicted that his influences were white. Mm -hmm. And if you were, I have a feeling in a weird way, he might have had the same education I had, and they're like a good 70 years in between them. Okay, th then that, which raises an interesting question, because if you, if you are, if you are, you know, where does, or when does the kind of bubbling up within, you know, Caribbean culture mm -hmm. that the poetry in particular, because I think it's, feel, it's, even back then when you were talking about, it feels like, you know, you only you only get to be a poet if you're smart enough or you've had the right sort of yeah. education. Yeah, and then the po and then the poetry would feel as if it's speaking to the academy. Exactly. Except the British Academy. Absolutely. The turning point, and I'm, I'm restricting it to to Cameron poets who are who are who are dead, was I would say two different kinds of poets. You had on one hand the Derek Walcotts. Mm -hmm. And the Camus or Braithwaite's, and both are super in, important. Derek, of course, because of again carrying the epic. Yes, Derek isn't just Derek. Derek is like I want to. I want to write. I want to write on the level of the Iliad and right. the Aeneid. Right. Actually, I think Homer's is better than the Aeneid. Really? Come on, that whiny ass wannabe Iliad. Listen, character. I am not disagreeing with you about yeah, the about I the like, Greek the Greek sagas I, or whatever. I actually think Homer's is better than Aeneid. Okay. Fighting words. Oh my god. <laughs> This is going to be interesting on, on Instagram and Twitter later. Camille Braithwaite, his collection, The Arivants. The idea, what I'm getting to is it never occurred to me that the voice coming out of my mouth would have anywhere near poetry. Oh, wow. Because absolutely not. Absolutely not. So that's why eventually I started to dislike lovely, dainty Spanish needle. Right. Because I know that's not how he talks. Right. And I know he's still wrestling because I wrestled with it. They, what do you do with the language coming out of your own mouth? Right, right. And if if and and Walcott not as Walcott to a lesser extent than than Braithwaite. The third person is this also no longer with us. Jean Binterbreeze. I don't know that. I remember the first time it's, it's she's mostly a dub poet, and that was a whole other thing where Jamaican poets were setting their poetry to music to reggae. Mm -hmm. Like anything, a lot of it not good. Right. It's just so many times you can go, me, I got to Mama Africa. I'm like, Mama Africa doesn't want you, girl. Right. And so on. But she had major experiences with schizophrenia. Okay. And she wrote about it. And she talks about, you know, the radio in her head going off. Wow. Wow. You know? And, and you know, she had a, a line. She's like, hey, hey, do feel no way. Town is a place where I know I can't stay. Wow. And I never forgot it because it, I think the, 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 the poem begins like, you know, I think like when the police came and so on. Right. And she keeps talking about the radio in her head. I realize, oh my gosh, she's talking about schizophrenia. Yeah, exactly. Wow.
because I mean, I wasn't I wasn't mm -hmm. going to bring her up, but one of the poets that I remember that's kind of being struck by when I was in probably college was Anne Sexton, mm -hmm. who has, you know, who talked a lot, who write a lot, wrote a lot about her own, you know, emotional and, and psychological struggles. And there's other issues about, you know, her behavior and and charges of abuse and, and, mm -hmm. and among her family. And and I I mean, I'm not I, I'm not comfortable enough in a position to sort of say one thing or the other, but I. But the thing about her that struck me is the story. Is the poetry, the poems. Some of the poems she tells are sort of story poems, mm -hmm. and they're they're sort of using tropes of things like fairy tales, but sort of telling them from a sort of a, you know, kind of twenty mid twentieth century sort of feminist perspective. You're like, oh yeah, Cinderella didn't live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. She was fucked over. I mean, in other words, the whole sense of kind of how we think about stories about women mm -hmm. and and the idea that you can have a frank discussion with a reader through poetry about your emotional or intellectual state or psychological state or whatever is kind of a powerful it's a powerful tool to kind of get to readers. But mm -hmm. it's also maybe because of sort of the education I had. My training is. I'd rather read a story about it or I'd rather right. read a narrative. I'd rather read a, you know, a, an essay about it or a memoir about it than, than sort of seeing it distilled in poetry or reading mm -hmm. it distilled in poetry. Because do you think it's, do you think when you leave the Caribbean and you come, I don't know, you come to the United States or whatever, or elsewhere, the UK, whatever happens to be, do you, and, and you kind of look into, you know, sort of search out poetry, mm -hmm. different people presumably percolate up. Do you, are, what, what, what attracts your attention really? when you're sort of looking for a new poet that you haven't read before. Well, so listen to what poet, other poets tell me. That was my question. How much yeah. of it is word of mouth? A lot of it is a lot of it is word of mouth. Yes. A lot of it is word of mouth. A lot of it is a I'm always curious when poets talk about poets that I haven't heard of. Yes. Because I feel I'm missing out. <laughs> FOMO poetry FOMO. I have I have serious poetry <laughs> FOMO. I'm like, how do I not know that person? <laughs> I'm well, always curious about well, who, which poets poets are reading. Yes. They tend also, I think that may be why I tend to be biased towards living poets, because they always never mention a dead one. Exactly, because they probably read them already before. Yeah, and also they want to help their friend. They want to help their friend sell a book. Well, all right. Because for that. As, somebody, mm -hmm. as somebody who reads, I mean, you have, do you, I guess really what I'm, what the question I would want to know is, do you read for language? Do you read for insight? Do you read for structure? Do you read for something else entirely? I think I read for language. Okay. Because I just I like that thing where, you know, Maria Angelou says about you know, you grab some grab some poems, you know, grab some words, roll them into a ball and throw them against a wall and watch them bounce. Right. That's nice. Yeah. I never forget it. I thought, Oh, that's what writers do. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's because yeah. I think I actually read I actually think I read for structure. Mm. Maybe that's my edit my editing background, but I mean, I think I'm, you know, the you know these woods. I think you know his house is in the village. He will not see me stopping here to watch the woods fill up with snow. It's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is sort of how you know the the rhyme scheme is not traditional sort of A B A B, mm -hmm. but it works. And yeah. how does it work? So it's it helped. I, I'm like I'm interested in sort of D constructing whose woods these are i think i know is how it starts mm. anyway my my point about somebody like frost is i thought he worked really effectively within a sort of traditional structure mm -hmm. without it being you know without it being you know that experimental or whatever so i think that to me is finding the you know kind of finding the 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 insight in something that i mm. although i did you do you like like sonnets for example yeah I do, and again, I grew up with them because it was just oh, of course. To, to, to teach them. Of course. I, also, because usually when we were taught poetry, we were taught to memorize them. 
memorized. But at least you can read them. You can speak them aloud to your point earlier. Yeah. Like I, you know, I mean, I, I just, for some reason, I don't know what I was doing. I just went, oh yeah, tiger, tiger burning bright in the forest of the night. <laughs> what immortal hand and I could frame thy fearful symmetry. Yeah. Like, why do I remember that still? Yes. And I probably learned that when I was like eight. Well, I understand ex- this is William Blake. I understand exactly mm. it that, and I know it's supposed to bother me, the last, mm. the last word, and it does. Yeah. Because it isn't symmetrical. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to need to work on that. <laughs> I'm going to need to sort of address that. But it's, it, it, you do, it is something that you, well, you remember lyrics, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part of the, I think that's part of the, that's part of the appeal, I think. I mean, yeah. Robert Frost wrote a poem called, um, oh shit, I can't, anyway, some say the world will end in fire. Some mm-hmm. say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those that favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would mm-hmm. suffice. <laughs> and it's one of those things that you can sort of keep with you. And mm-hmm. it's 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 sort of it's play it's playful language. Yeah. That if you sort of spend more than twenty seconds listening or thinking about it, it's actually about to you know the human experience. Mm-hmm. What what I find for me. With black poets, for example, is nine times out of ten, I think I, I get there late. Meaning that, like, I'm just now discovering Gwendolyn Brooks. Well, I've got to say, late may be, I mean, on time for the rest. I mean, in other words. Yeah, you- but I mean, I you know, Toni Morrison talks about, you didn't think I was going to go two episodes that don't mention Nothing Toni wrong Morrison. with talking Come about Toni Morrison. And, but, and she wasn't talking about poetry, but she was talking about how a lot of people thought she was influenced by Zora Neale Hurston. And she actually hadn't read Zora until after Sula. Interesting. And when she got there, she realized a lot of what she was thinking about and writing about and the world and the universe she's inhabiting, Zora already inhabited. But the thing that always struck me is this idea of getting to your heroes a little late. Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe just in time. I was going to say, it feels more like just in time. But certainly later than everybody thought you would. Right. And I think that is what happens to me with, with Gwendolyn Brooks or with June Jordan, even Audre Lorde. Oh, interesting. That these are poets I've heard of from I was in school. Right. From certainly when I was in college, certainly in the 80s, for all my talk about my British education, a lot of my college education was a push against that. Intentionally? Intentionally because the, the, the 70s radicals were still on campus. <laughs> It was, they, it was merely 1988. They were there. They were still on campus. They were there. Yeah. They didn't have guns and stuff anymore. <laughs> you know, but they were still there, and they were still remember. Well, as a as a as a, I was an English major or one of my majors in college, and and the you know I went through the as I said I went through the sort of education of the poet the you know the poetic education. But as a reader, I find myself drawn to to your point earlier. I'm drawn to being surprised. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I think I'm drawn to doing that is, and this is very lowbrow, but I don't mind, is poetry that's funny. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, poetry can address you know deep meaningful, you know, themes, you know, the human experience and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do think for me to be delighted in a relatively short space and, yeah. and is is kind of a gift. I mean, there was a, I mean, I dis- discovered, I came across Ogden Nash as, mm-hmm. from back in the day, you know, and he, he's known for his sort of, you know, pithy verse. I mean, he was, you know, he was born in the early 20th century, had a privileged upbringing and he, 
he published, I think, his first book in like the 30s and became a, you know, it was, it sold well. He became a kind of public personality. And, you know, he, he lived in New York briefly. And, but he, even though he was, I think he was born in, in Westchester County in New York. Anyway, but he eventually moved to Baltimore mm-hmm. and um, lived there for most of his life. Now, not the poetry center of the United States, as far as I know. Not quite. But I remember he wrote, I could have loved New York had I not loved Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Or Baltimore. I mean, it's that sort of sense of using language and mm-hmm. sort of turning inside out that, you know, made me smile and made me. I mean, in other words, that's the kind of response I want to mm-hmm. want to look for, as opposed to deep longing or or weeping or you know, sort of soaring rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's more a function of my shallowness, but the idea of using language to sort of be funny and insightful at the same time is appealing to me. Yeah, but I'm not sure it's it's part of our our conventions where we still think humor or delight or fun is a lesser yes. artistic experience yes. than tragedy. Totally. Or 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 the morose. Yes, absolutely. I mean, to earlier, you know, sort of conversations that we've we've had on this podcast, the idea that, you know, crime and punishment is mm. literature. Mhm. Be, and one of the reasons might be because these people sort of suffer so much. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case in every situation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I was, look, you know, when we were preparing for this, I was thinking about, you know, Ogden Nash is often referred or occasionally compared to Dorothy Parker. And I think Dorothy Parker's poetry communicates almost sort of a, a kind of an undercurrent of sadness or melancholy. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing like, you know, the famous line, Dorothy Parker's men seldom make passes at girls who wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And Ogden Nash wrote a response to that. A girl who's bespectacled may not get her necticled. <laughs> and it's sort of a pun. It's kind of silly. It's funny, but there's mm. not that sort of underlying sense of I'm not being, mm-hmm. I'm not having a, I'm not. People aren't paying attention to me because I'm not perceived as attractive or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's less, there's less emotional heft in some sort of like Ogden Nash. Mm. But I, you know, I think in some ways that's might be okay sometimes. You know, as somebody who's probably yet to write a nice outcome for a character. And may never. And <laughs> you may know, never. I get it where we think, you know, trouble and tragedy is more more interesting. But I'm not sure that's necessarily the foundation of good art. I mean, it is, but it's not the only thing. Right. And my the thing about, of course, you know, tragedy is that it is forever, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, charm or lightness or whatever is something that, oh, I experienced this i enjoyed it okay let's move on what else you got but you know some of the best boys have charm the thing about a walker poem like a walker like almost is that there's tons of charm yes absolutely absolutely in in walker there's tons of charm in auden i i 100 agree yeah. a lot more so than elliot oh absolutely yes the things i like about about gwendolyn brooks is the tons of charm mm-hmm that that I find in you know in her work because a poem can also be just the most artistically enriching conversation you've had. Well, that's actually I was I was actually going to ask you about that because sometimes if it's if you a good poem for me can actually be a conversation mm-hmm. with with and with somebody like you know Gwendolyn Brooks or Maya Angelou, it's like the voice is so clear. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read it and enjoy it for that. But sometimes it's like, okay, draw me into this in a way, or or my response to it. It's it's asking for a response, as mm-hmm. opposed to being, you know, kind of a proclamation that I find interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you are knowing what you know about sort of you know reading and writing and teaching and stuff now? 
are you ever drawn to kind of go back to hear to read? I don't know, John Donne, or do you go back to read? I guess what I'm asking is the people that you have sort of, you know, read mm. and and moved on from. Do they ever are they ever relevant again? Yeah, I mean, even older than that, I keep, I, I I still go back to Ovid. Okay. Does mm. the translation matter to you? Yes. Yes, I agree. I go back to Ovid a lot. I may even read. I might. I mean, I'm really tempted to read Ted Hughes's Ovid. It might even be good. Who knows? It's interesting because um, I I will tend to like I do that with with the, the particularly the Inferno mm-hmm. is that I read different translations yeah um you know and I I've read um, Alan Mandelbaum or whatever his name is yes and there's there's several of them. actually Dorothy L Sayers did a translation of the of the Inferno and and she is an excellent mystery writer I know that I didn't think she could translate exactly yeah so reader mysteries don't read her. Don't read her translation of, of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> what about others like Purgatory or the other one? Yes, I mean yeah. they. I, I, I'm trying to remember which one it is. It, it might have been, I think, Robert Fitzgerald. I think mm-hmm. I, I think I, I could be wrong, but anyway, yes, there are there are some really good Dante mm-hmm. translations out there. But I do agree. I think the translation totally matters. So I do go back. I still go back to Auden. Funny enough, after 9/11, I was reading him a lot. Interesting. Larger because I think his what's the name of his poem? Tenth of September? No. He had a poem that read so it was a rare piece of pre nine eleven art that read like it was post. Interesting. Now, do you have do you have any other poem poets you want to mention to us? Oh, for a second, I thought you mean if I'm gonna recite another poem. I'm like, no. <laughs> please, please mention that. There was a girl poem. from Nantucket. Well, that was I was gonna ask you, um, do you really hate limericks? I don't hate limericks, but the last time I heard limericks was at a po- was was at we, we was at a poetry lounge and this guy was making it very clear he thought we were all communist homosexuals <laughs> and he's like i know a poem there was a girl from nantucket i'm like oh dear lord <laughs> well i mean i i i have other people that i think are worth mentioning who are funny but i mm-hmm. think i i do think it's my my one piece of unsolicited advice i would offer people is don't be afraid to look around to be don't be don't be afraid to be promiscuous in 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 reading a poet, you might not like him, her, they. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Put them down and read something else. I think it's. I think you can give up on a poet. Absolutely. I think when a poem or a poet connects to you, you'd know. Yes. And that's okay that they don't connect. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. So, guys, that's it for this episode. We made it to the end. And you can let us know what you think. We read dead people at PRH. Dot com and you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for updates on books by living authors like Marlon James himself. And we'll have links in the show notes to the books that we have talked about in this episode. And for sneak peeks of upcoming Riverhead books, free giveaways and exclusive content, like maybe or maybe not pictures of Marlin lighting a pile of trollop novels on fire, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, The River Herd. Find the sign-up link in our show notes or on any of our social channels. Good. So thanks for listening, and you can go read some dead poets. Oh, my God. Is that like dead poets? I was just going to say, we made it through a podcast without making a joke about dead poets. I know. I'm so proud of us. Technically, this is a joke, so I'm not sure if I'm still proud of us. But anyway, (laughs) see you guys soon. Listening to Marlon and Jake means my to-read list gets longer every week. 
Enter Libro FM. Libro FM lets me purchase audiobooks directly from my favorite local bookstore. I can pick from more than 185,000 titles, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. I get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But I'm part of a different story, one that supports community. And you can be too. Marlon and Jake Read Dead People listeners can get a special offer. Two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership. That's two audiobooks for just $14.99 with the code Marlon and Jake. Visit Libro.fm to get started. Now go read some dead people. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S.